Hi, this is Aaron Douglas. I'm Chief Tyrrell in Battlestar Galactica, and you are listening to Galactica Quorum online. Previously on the Galactica Quorum. We've done some head baltar in this season coming up as well. That has been, for me, really great. Watch out for that episode. I love it. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of silence we haven't seen in a long time. Boomer hasn't shown up in a long time. She goes AWOL and flies back to get the Anders, arrow. and then she gets the arrow, and they take her word for it then. They should at least give benefit of the doubt. But at that time, she arrow. was following Rosalind. Now she's going rightly she's against Rosalind. Off the reservation, as Brian said. Is Cavill a dirty old man? Maybe they can email or something. <laughs> they have Wi-Fi <laughs> built in. They this... did give away a lot in that, didn't they? Hello, welcome to the Galactica Quorum. This is show number 39. We are a podcast about Battlestar Galactica. I am Brian, and with me today... Michelle! We have a website called galacticacorum.com and a voicemail at 206-350-6756. You can reach us by email at gquorum at gmail.com. That's spelled G-Q-U-O-R-U-M. I want to say up front that we have not listened to the official Ronald Moore podcast for the episode we're going to be talking about, which is the Battlestar episode 6 of 1. Wait a minute. There's actually... Am There's I not. missing the... Po- oh. There's not. Okay, I was going to say, am I missing the podcast? As we No, as we air this, they have not yet posted them, but... Okay. Just want to make clear that we have not listened to them yet. And we will not be discussing any spoilers, just speculation. So the new season has begun, and a couple weeks ago, Sci-Fi Channel had their upfronts where they mingle in New York and they do meetings with the press and whatnot. And shortly after that, they had a teleconference with Katie Sackhoff. And I got to call in and ask her a couple questions, and I'm going to play them for you now. Hi, Katie. At the end of last season, a couple of the actors playing the final five Cylons weren't too happy, at least initially, to find out that they were Cylons. So if Starbuck turns out to be a Cylon or an agent of the Cylons, will you be pleased or displeased or indifferent? Well, I think the reason the the four actors were upset about being Cylons is that I think, you, you know, you play four years making choices as a character. And then to realize that all those choices you made would have been different had you known is interesting. It's kind of like, you you know, you get the wool pulled over your eyes for four years and then lo and behold, your character is something completely different. But I would be completely indifferent. You know, I have love for this character, and I think we all do, as far as everyone for their character on the show. But they they were pretty angry. I still think Michael Hogan hasn't come to terms with it. I don't think he's ready to to accept it yet. The nature of Starbucks' return is a big mystery this season. We don't know if she's the original, a clone, a Cylon, or some figment of Lee's imagination. So from an acting perspective, have you made an internal choice to play Starbuck as one of those possibilities? No, I think it's a strong enough internal choice to play the fear, to play that she's lost. And I think if I play that, I think that it leaves the door open to question what she is. Our show is all about playing the reality of something. And how do you play the reality of knowing that you are something when you don't really know what you are? You play the question. You play the uncertainty. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. I think it's funny that she mentioned that 
Michael Hogan hasn't quite come to grips with him being a Cylon. Yeah, even now, I mean, they're shooting well into episode 10 or 11 of the season by now. And yeah. he's still kind of grumpy about it. I think that's funny. Well, it's just like in the beginning, uh, Mary McDonald kept saying, you know, if they make me a Cylon, I'm going to be really pissed off. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of the other actors felt the same way. One of the other things she mentioned during this teleconference, and it's not really a spoiler, is that at the time she was filming the episode that Ron Moore is directing, and one of the people asked her if how that was to have him as a director, and she said that it was interesting because he says thank you after every take, which has never happened before with the director. Interesting. <laughs> but also she said that she only had one scene in that episode, so I don't know if that meant that she had one scene overall in the entire show, or if that just to that point had only had one scene. That's really funny. And speaking of the business side of it, the ratings for the first show were very good. They had 2.1 million viewers, which is up in their key adult demos. I won't give you the exact numbers, but they're up in each category. And even the interesting one is they're up uh, with women. That's setting right. A, setting a record for 18 to 49-year-old women, which, are you guys sure you want to quit this now? I mean, you're just starting to get the ratings, so... You know, the funny thing about that is, like, I've heard a lot of people tell me that they watch Battle... Especially guys. Like, they watch Battlestar Galactica, and they keep sitting there thinking, you know, there's no way my wife or my significant other or whatever is going to watch it with me. And, you know, they sit down and they show it to their wife, and their wife is, like, into it more than they are. I have to admit that happened with me. I was holding off. I didn't want to watch the miniseries, and then Ted was like, oh, you got to watch it. So he forced me to watch it. Now look what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) The decision to greenlight Caprica probably came before the ratings for this show came out, but that probably makes them feel better about the decision. Well, it depends obviously. on how they do Caprica. Well, yeah, obviously. They could do it in a number of ways. It could be just a Desperate Housewives on Caprica, or it could be something else entirely. But I think it's going to be a... I think they're going to be happy for the franchise to continue in some regard. Yeah. Because that will mean some sort of carryover in terms of inertia and of ratings. But obviously they had one shot for it to work because if it ends up being something that none of the fans are really anticipating or wanting, it'll come to a stop real quick. Yeah. Like Bionic Woman. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) I want to bring up from our last episode, the recap that I did, one of our listeners put together a video accompaniment of the recap and put it on YouTube. And I never write the recaps with the video in mind or the intention of them ever becoming video, but seeing it like that, it was, I was amazed. You did a great job. I thought that was brilliant. So my thanks to him. I believe it's a him or her. I'm sorry if it's, if it's a woman, but great job. I'll put the link on our show notes. And Keep up also, the good work fans. It's, yes. Thank you so much. Speaking of fans, I want to assure everybody that we have plenty of voicemails to catch up on this time and emails. We kind of, didn't do them last time because we wanted to get right to the show, but we will play some now. Here is voicemail number one. Hey, my name is Bern Reese. I'm a longtime listener. Love your podcast. I just wanted to throw in my two cents as to what I thought might be the final outcome for BSG. I've been thinking about the idea of destiny in the show and the role destiny plays. And I was thinking that um, when they get to Earth, that perhaps they realize that their destiny is to actually perpetuate the cycle, that the cycle that is playing itself out in space and time over and over again is actually a necessity to maintain the survival of the human race. So that instead of choosing to land on Earth and integrate with humans of the 13th colony, 
they realize that uh, their destiny is to perpetuate the cycle and to go back and to leave the breadcrumb trails for the next human Cylon conflict and war, to leave the legends behind, to leave the eye of Jupiter behind, to leave the breadcrumb trail that the future humans of Earth will ultimately have to follow when they too leave their homeworld of Earth uh, in search of their mythical Earth, if that makes any sense. Sorry, I don't have specifics, just an idea, throwing spaghetti at the wall. Let's see if it sticks. Bye. I like that one. I mean, it goes along with the whole, like we were saying, everything is cyclical. My original theory about the Final Five way back before they became the Singing Cylons was that they were their own faction and there was going to be a civil war. and That was debunked. And then there was a very short amount of time where I kind of thought that the Final Five were like guiding angels that are a few steps ahead of humans and Cylons. They were like leaving breadcrumbs, leaving little trails Mm -hmm. for them to follow in the right direction or possibly if that was their want in the wrong direction, maybe they were not really guardian angels. They were kind of the opposite, but so yeah, I, I think that would be kind of interesting. So here's call number two. And he's referencing the email that John sent us about the final five downloading from one body to another. Oh, I can't wait for more Battlestar Galactica, but not only that, it's nice to get more frequent Galactica quorum. Also, I really like John's idea and I want to expand on his theory a little bit more. Maybe the way that they transfer themselves is through nanites. I don't know. Just trying to give you guys more ideas. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for the great work. Bye. Ah, uh, nanites. Nanites. It's I almost, a Stargate thing. It is kind of... If the show was a little bit more techie, I think that might work better. I think the direction they're going now, it's a little bit more mystical. I agree. Although, on the one hand, I do have this kind of weird theory. At one point, Dimitri talked to us and he was saying, what if the final one is one of the existing ones is just like a duplicate? And we're like, that doesn't make any sense, whatever. But it made me think of this other idea in which, you know, the opening scene of every episode during the credits, they show Baltar's house exploding and Six covers him up through the blast. And uh-huh. it's like, what if somehow... Like the head, something about Baltar and the head thing is like the fifth. Like somehow the, the fifth, it's like disembodied, but it's its program is roaming between him and six or something. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know either. I'm, I'm, I'm not, <laughs> I can't. I can't comment on that because the whole head Baltar and the head six thing, it just it goes against everything else. And especially this this episode when oh yeah <laughs> the the head appears for Baltar. So we'll get to that in a second, but. Let's get to some emails. I have one that came in a few weeks ago from Zvanko in Croatia, and I have to give him huge credit. He wrote literally pages and pages of theories, the gist of which is that he believes that Rosalind might be the final five. (laughs) And I would love to take the time to go into that, but I just don't have time right now because I have so many others to get to. And literally his was like several pages long, and I want to give him enough Maybe we should post it on the forum. We might just post it on the forum, and we'll get to it in an upcoming podcast. But we got it, Zvanko, and thank you so much. So let me just bring up some other emails and news items. We got a couple emails from a listener who first wants to let us know that there's a Make a Cylon contest. What? Yep. It's done by Make Magazine and the Sci-Fi Channel. You basically make whatever you think is Cylon-y, so any object or... Wait, like you physically make something? Like you physically have to make something. It can't be a Photoshop. Okay. You make something you think is Cylon-y, and it will be judged by Grace Park and Trisha Helfer. Ooh. 
The deadline is by the mid-season break, whenever that is. And I will post a link where you can find details about the contest. The same person also writes to tell us that Ron Morris sold a pilot to Fox called Virtuality. What is that about? I'll tell you. All right. It's the premise of the series will revolve around 10 astronauts that set out on a 10-year journey of a nearby solar system. To help pass the time on the ship, NASA has created an advanced virtual reality pod that will allow the astronauts to assume different identities and go on many different adventures. Things go swimmingly until a bug is found in the system. That's the... Wait a minute. This sounds like a few episodes of Star Trek. It sounds like the holodeck. I yeah. Admit. So I don't know what that means. I wasn't quite clear because he wrote the pilot, but he's not, from what I understand, a producer of the show. So I don't know if his ties go beyond that. I'm not going to ever speculate on any show if it's going to be good or bad anymore because we just can't tell. <laughs> we just don't know. Did I mention I wasn't totally sold on Bionic Woman? Yeah. <laughs> this one comes from Leonard, also referring to John's email about the final five downloading. He says, thanks for confirming there is at least one other person with a theory very much like mine. I also think the final five can reincarnate or transfer the consciousnesses. This ability to reincarnate was used in the Eye of Jupiter. One of the final five transferred into Deanna when she stepped into the Eye of Jupiter. When she reactivates herself, she will become the last of the final five. It's his theory. Well, that would be weird. Can that be possible? Could it be? Well, she did reactivate in the tub until she got turned off. Well, yeah, but who's to say she's the final five? I just think it'd be weird for a Cylon to be within a Cylon. I don't know. I don't know. It's confusing. But if they can download and just... The little consciousness kind of like squirts like data across from one to another. Yeah. That's why the Baltar thing, like he's, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> now, we got some response about our big hullabaloo where um, we were discussing, I don't know about discussing, we were arguing, arguing <laughs> about Baltar and whether he was uh, enjoying the harem too much or too little. Can I just defend myself? It was freaking midnight, okay, people? <laughs> It was midnight. There have been drinking. We were drinking. I'm grumpy at night when I don't sleep. But whatever. I thought it was a great thing. I don't care if people thought we were immature. You know what? Taking on the balance of our show, I mean, we don't take ourselves seriously. So yeah, that's just the way it is. If you can't get that impression. so It's all about having fun, people. We're really. not trying to be like overly serious. and. When it comes down to it. This show is nothing more than a bunch of friends sitting around and talking the shit about Battlestar Galactica. If we want to fight with each other and, and if, be immature, we And will. that's what we do. Yep. Um, you know, we're not going for a demographic or whatever. And we encourage our fans to email us with their arguments, too. Join in on the fun. <laughs> yeah. So, from Umar, he takes your side. Gaius is about Sweet. the Yeah. Gaius is about the glory, but not the responsibility. His reaction of the Spice Channel Church of Gaius Baltar comes from realizing <laughs> he's the only people who won't throw him out of an airlock, but in order to make them happy, he has to be their god or savior. That's responsibility, and Gaius doesn't want that. Of course, he could be president because he could delegate everything and only show up to put the presidential face on him. The rest of the time, he could check up with the presidential cabinet. But on the Cylon ship, he lived only as long as he proved useful, and that caused stress because it meant responsibility, actually doing real work. So he goes from all that, especially having his celebration deflated by the reality that he's amongst a group of people that want to kill him no matter how useful he is. I think we can forgive him for forgetting he was in the photo studio of hotnewbileswhowanit.com when now he's got to play God. Guys is not stupid. He knows what happens when followers suddenly realize you can't resurrect their cats. You know, if I wasn't tired when we were having that conversation, I would have probably mentioned the fact that when he was president, because I know you made that argument that, you know, he was president and that was responsibility. 
But he delegated all that stuff out. To me, the argument that fails is when you say he had no responsibility as president, because regardless of the existence of the quorum, the society they live in is an autocracy. And the president calls the shots, and he called the biggest one ever in deciding to settle on New Caprica. There's no hiding behind that. And he alone was accountable for making that decision. But he didn't think, well, the way that he did it, he thought that if we settled on New Caprica, we could, it would be an easy life. He was perfectly comfortable with making that decision. That was not a hard decision for him. Here's a second email from Ben. It goes on further about the topic. He says that Baltar went from the depths of despair, as far as he knew, he had faced certain execution, to elation, being found innocent, and then slid back down the slope to a different type of despair. If you go back and forth between hot and cold, you'll get sick. There's only so many cycles your body can take before it says, wait just a minute. The mind works the same way, and he's been on an emotional roller coaster. So his attitude in the Church of Baltar makes sense. He'll go Messiah in the next couple episodes and will eventually be the Cylon Jesus, I'm guessing, but his reactions, as shown so far, are believable to me. I can see this point. I guess all I was saying is that he was immediately repulsed the moment he entered the room with all those women. And that's not what I'd come to expect from Baltar. I don't think he was repulsed. He, he came in, and here's the thing. I expect at some point he would come in and be like, okay, this is freaky. But I think they should have at least shown him with a little bit of an eager glimmer of expectant randiness. I think they had that. I don't think so. I think they came in, and I don't expect them to take an episode for him to make the transition or even a scene. I think they could have just had a beat within a scene where... For a split second, he has, oh, yeah, this is going to be fun. And then that would quickly melt away into uncertainty and kind of like fear of what's around well, I think him. At first, and James Callis could have pulled that off in his sleep. So I think at first he he walked in and was like, uh, okay. And then when the women started, especially the one woman, when she started flirting with him and putting her ha- his hands on her breasts. Yeah, it was almost Then reverse. he was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I just felt like... I scrutinize this far more than like the average person does. Yes, I, I'm yes, obviously you the critical do. one in the group. But if I was the executive producer, you know, obviously I want to be, but I'm not. But I would have been like, yeah, we really, I would have really liked to have seen him just like for a second there, be like, oh, this is cool. Oh, maybe it's not. You'd be one of those producers that would be so nitpicky, it would drive everybody nuts. Right, and have a damn good show. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be canceled the first episode. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> Got an email from Ryan who tells us that Trisha Helfer has signed on to do a Fox show. So really? all, these, all these guys are getting deals. And but it's not sci-fi. Ah, but you will be happy to know <gasps> that Tom O'Pennicott is going to have a role in Joss Whedon's Dollhouse. <gasps> Go Tomo! So, going Yay. from one great producing group to another. Hopefully, Dollhouse will get its shake. This one comes from Els. She says, I think Roma Lampkin is the fifth Cylon, but I probably won't find out until next year or so when season four airs in Belgium. Ooh. Yeah, we're big in Europe. (laughs) Why, Romo? The surprise effect of outing well-known characters as Cylons has already been used, and it would be lame to do this again. That rules out Lee, Rosalind, Starbuck, etc. On the other hand, this fifth Cylon is too important a character to come completely out of the blue. That's why it should be someone we know. In season three, an almost unreasonable amount of airtime was given to the strange guy who played a strange role. I read somewhere that he would be back in season four. So that could be. Runmore did say that originally Romo was supposed to be killed in that bomb blast. Yeah. That doesn't mean anything, but it does mean that at the time they had no intention of him being the final five. 
So they, they could easily change their mind. Midstream, yeah, are we invested enough in him for him to be the fifth? I don't know. <laughs> I'm done. I mean, I have to say, we talked about this last time and the time before. and The time before We've that. reached sort of our level of talking about the fifth Cylon. I'm, I'm at the point, I'm ready to say, you guys can send us all of your theories and I'm happy to share them. But I think I just yeah I, I can't I can't speculate anymore because I think I've speculated on every single. I'd rather cast talk member. about the show <laughs> and some cool plot lines and what a character is doing. But please don't stop sending your yeah, theories. But, yeah, personally, I've emptied the the vessel and I can no longer think of more. But you're free to do so if you want. <laughs> there was a post on our message boards from Just Pat who offered some very detailed possibilities about Starbucks' return from Earth, including scientific ones. That Starbuck may have found a wormhole or somehow made an FTL jump in her Viper. It was a trip of billions of miles. By the way, uh, there's really good hard scientific details about this, including relativistic effects and cosmological distances. So it sounds like this person knows what they're talking about. But another possibility is that Starbuck just is not Starbuck. And that's the one thing that keeps jumping out at me. I guess one thing more than another could be a real clue in the fact that they said that Starbucks Viper was in brand new condition. Yeah. To me, that's a clue. I hate to say it, but could that be a clue to the Viper of Light thing? Remember from the yeah. original series with the aliens? Yeah. The Viper Light, and when they came back, their Vipers were new, weren't they? I'm beginning to think the answer is either, number one, to do something with the not Leoban in her dream sequence. Some kind of like angelic figure that has supernatural or godlike powers. Or Viper two, of Light. Or, yeah, Viper Light. Or <laughs> two, that it's Starbuck from a previous cycle. And the, I one like from, that the one from this cycle was indeed killed, but one from another cycle was reslotted into her place. I like that theory. I think that's a cool theory. But if it was a Starbuck from a previous cycle, is she living the same experiences? She has to be, because this Starbuck that is on the ship now seems to know everything that whatever. So they had to have been living the exact same experiences right. at the exact same time. Yeah. The more I think about it, it reminds me more of David Bowman in 2001 when he enters the monolith. So maybe Starbucks the star child. That would be weird. But I hate to tell you I've never seen that. Oh, gosh. All right. You need to – you can skip like the first hour of the movie when it's really slow okay. and like the spaceships take 10 minutes to go from one place to another and they dock. At the end, after Hal goes nuts and David Bowman kills Hal – spoiler – for a 40-year-old movie – um, I mean, I've seen bits and pieces of it, but I've but never But at the end, the David Bowman goes into the monolith and has this really trippy experience. He exits his pod and, like, everything is in this w weird, almost too new condition. And if you read the book, especially, it, it goes into more detail. Like, there's food on the table, but it's, like, too good. It's almost, like, synthetically too good. It's, like, the same thing with Starbucks. She emerged from this cloud and is almost too perfect like the machine is pristine and everything is just the same so all right the one more thing i'll bring up is i was reading to my son he's doing this unit on mythology and constellations and stuff and of course they're bringing up greek mythology and so i'm reading this little book to him about the greek gods and it gets to this part where it's talking about zeus and how there's the 12 olympians who are the gods who reside in mount olympus Mm -hmm. And I'm like, 12? 12? <laughs> Why didn't this occur to me before? 
that the 12 Olympians equates, obviously, to 12 Cylon models. I Somehow uh-huh. that totally just went over my head. I hadn't thought about it. But there's a correlation for a lot of the A lot of them. There's obviously, like, Zeus, Apollo, Athena, and then there's several others. They don't all have a direct correlation to the Cylon models, like the Cavils and the Leobans. I guess if you wanted to, you could draw a connection to them. But the problem is there's the 12 Olympians. There's six male, six female. And of the Cylon models, there's a majority of male. Even if the final fifth Cylon is female, there's still a majority of male. So it's not going to be a perfect one-to-one. So just throwing that out there. Who was the one that said that the fifth had to be a female? Well, Jason was saying that just because right now that is the sort of the ratio. There's way more men as Cylons than women. Which is kind of weird because they want to reproduce and right. the men can't reproduce. Right. Just wanted to throw out a promo for some other podcasts. We have one from Sending a Wave and Cadmium 2. They contacted us and we said, sure, we'd be happy to tell other folks about your podcast. And we're going to play a promo for you now in which they are going to interview Nathan Fillion. On Wednesday, April the 9th, Sending Away is proud to present an interview with Nathan Fillion. Or are we? Now, I tell you what, my first question to you, quite simply, is have you switched off your mobile phone or am I giving you $20 for a cap Have I switched off my mobile phone or am I giving you... Oh, my, am I giving you $20 for a cap I'm trying to understand that. You yeah. really don't remember what you wrote in one of your blogs. Find out if Nathan Fillion sticks around after that opening gambit at www.sendingawave.blogspot.com. You can also find us on the iTunes store by typing in Sending a Wave. Available from Wednesday, April the 9th. Sending a Wave. We're continuing the impossible. Yes, my mobile phone is switched off. So that should be interesting. Okay, are we ready to discuss this episode? Certainly. Okay, so this episode was entitled Six of One. Rosalind is a captive audience, literally, as Starbuck rants to her about visions and trust while waving her pistol around. Starbuck then gives the gun to Rosalind and says to kill her if she thinks she's a Cylon. Rosalind says, okay, and fires. Was Starbuck just shot in the head? Fullest once, shame on you, but not two episodes in a row. What Rosalind did shoot was a photo of her and Adama, shattering the frame and planting a slug directly between them. Hmm, symbolism? Starbuck is taken off to a cell where Adama tells her she just pissed off her last ally. As the cell door slams shut, Starbuck perhaps belatedly realizes that you can't start a revolution by yourself. Aboard the base star with the softly playing Muzak, the coterie of Cylon skin jobs finally make a return after many episodes. Six and Sharon have been hanging out poolside with the hybrid, and they have news to report to Cavill. They believe her ramblings, plus the behavior of the raiders in the last battle, are clues that the final five are among the colonial fleet. Cavill doesn't want to discuss it, saying the original programmers had a reason for keeping them separate. He blames the Raiders, who have exceeded their programming and are thinking on their own. He proposes they be systematically dumbed down. Six vehemently opposes, saying, Something has changed, but the models are evenly split on a decision until Boomer enters and uncharacteristically votes against her line. The final four, meanwhile, are themselves wondering about the location of the fifth. Ty wants Tori to get cozy with Baltar to see what he might know. She balks, but he says she doesn't have to sleep with him. Lee is given a retirement party and toasts the crew and absent friends. At this, Adama looks upon the non-shattered photo of Starbuck on the rec room wall. In the mess hall, Tori makes small talk with Baltar. When who should appear but head Baltar? Baltar is somewhat distressed at the thought of another personality crowded in his cranium. Admiral Adama isn't too keen on it either. 
While he and Rosalind discuss Starbuck, her observations about him are too close to the mark, and he distances himself from her, saying, You can stay in the room, but get out of my head. Lee is given another send-off on the flight deck. Boy, are they giving him a hint or what? The assembled crew gives Lee a cheer, as they wonder how they too might be able to pull off that early retirement trick. Tori ends up sleeping with Balthar after all, but he stops when he sees her crying. Balthar assures her, but she embraces him wholeheartedly when he tells her that silence can suffer too. Back at the base star, Six is going to start a revolution, and she's brought friends. Big ones, with steel alloy bodies and built-in machine guns. Simon is back, long enough to cast his unfortunate vote for the opposition, before getting perforated with bullets, along with Cavill and Doral. Starbuck is led out of her cell towards the hangar deck and the launch tubes, but it appears she still has an ally in Adama after all. He concedes that Rosalind is right, and that although it may be the wrong decision, he's sending Starbuck off on a mission aboard the Demetrius to continue the search for Earth. Roll credits. Let's talk about the Cylons when they first are meeting together. I think they really spilled a lot of stuff in their, in their opening bit. They talk about the original programmers as if there was a group that had designed the Cylon models that was somehow different than, say, the bullet heads, or almost infer that it could be like something or some group or entity that we have never ever heard of before. Hmm. Was it humans that designed them? or I don't know. It seems like every time we see the Cylons on the base star, like they're more and more fighting. Like the Sixes are fighting a lot against the Cavils. Mm-hmm. I just think that's a little interesting that they're starting to have this like fighting going on, this civil war starting between all of them. Well, when Cavill says the Raiders were part of that, it's been them from the beginning, it made me think that what we're seeing is almost like a replay of what happened with the humans 40 years ago in the Cylons when they're like, oh, uh-huh. the Cylons are starting to really think too much. We need to scale them back. And we're like seeing a cycle within a cycle, perhaps, the Cylons doing what the humans did right. and trying to take over or impede any sort of progress because that's what it was. The Cylons were the tools of the humans and they gained sentience. And now the Cylons have created raiders to do as Cavill said, he's a mechanic, their tools, Mm -hmm. their tools now have grown up a little bit. And so it's kind of the same thing. And the other thing that's interesting to me was, I think it was Leoben who says, speaking of the final five, and obviously they were speaking of the final five kind of openly. Cavill was saying we shouldn't be talking about them, but I didn't see any like restrictive programming going on where they're like, oh, we can't talk yeah. about it. That whole forbidden thing, I think, might have been a, a big ruse on Six's part last episode. But Leoben says, what their eyes must have seen witnessed over time was his line. That, too, that could mean almost anything, but it really opens up the possibilities. Witnessed- they did give away a lot in that, didn't they? Um, my thought was, my gosh, this is episode two of the season. There's 18 left. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Whoa, Nelly. Rain it back a little bit. The yeah, next episode, they'll reveal the fifth one, and they'll tell you what happened with Starbuck. <laughs> yeah. So maybe the next couple, they're going to go back to more traditional story plots that don't really deal with this whole mythology. But I thought they really were giving us a lot of stuff to chew on. I think really what they wanted to show was that the fighting that was going on between the Cylons. And I think it's setting up that maybe half of the Cylons are going to, they're going to negotiate more with the humans, maybe. Anyways, moving on, next subject. I love Mary McDonald in this episode. 
Yeah. The shot where she squeezes the trigger and kind of like looks cockeyed to see, did I just shoot it? And it was yeah. that, that expression on her face. That was priceless. I love that. I'm surprised she missed though. I mean, they weren't that far away from each other. Yeah. <laughs> I guess maybe the kickback through her. Yeah. And I like that Starbuck actually said to her, you know, I trusted you. I right. went all the way back to Caprica and now you can't trust me. Right. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I, I agree with Starbuck in that. I did like the scene with her and Adama though. It felt like those two really understand each other now and whether or not they're romantically linked or not or whatever. Just the fact that from where they came from, where they're with government versus military and who should have control, they could still squabble now and he could put up his defensive barriers and walls and say, stop it. I don't want you to hear you talking about it. But he does admit that what she said was truthful mm-hmm. and because she does. She understands them and not, they do have a good relationship. So Lee leaves the ship. Oh, did I not call it? Did I not say that he was going to go and be a member of the quorum? You did. You did. <laughs> I was like, I knew it. That's the only government job out there. <laughs> well, I did say that uh, a couple of them probably <laughs> got destroyed in the last... Yeah. So that's all that they, they could be, really. So he does sort of say goodbye to everybody. He says goodbye to Starbuck. Oh, does he say goodbye He to says goodbye. <laughs> And he says goodbye to Dee and, and to yet, everyone. Wait, he says goodbye to Starbuck, and then he just gives Dee a pat on the shoulder. Yeah. Well, that just shows you where his heart's been all along. So what did you think of the farewell? Well, the only thing I felt that they gave Lee two farewells, which to me seemed redundant. <laughs> but you know why? It's not just that I don't like Lee. I mean, part of it is. But I just it seemed kind of redundant that they did two that way. But Lee is supposed to be a huge character, and he's supposed to be like... Like a heart of the the fleet. But the way that they've played him in the last season or whatever, you kind of lost interest in him. So I wasn't very emotional about him leaving. Where they tried to make it emotional, you know, with all the little, like, voices in the background of the past and everything. Right. It didn't work for me. Really, aside from him commanding the Pegasus for that period of time, he was the CAG, but I don't see him, like, inspiring the troops quite the way that a Starbuck or a cat ever did. Yeah. Wait, here's my other question. Exactly what does Hilo do now? Well, that's the question. I was just going to get to that. Oh, really? Oh, okay. So Starbuck has given a ship, the Demetrius. I think it's just so funny. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad Demetrius not here. Yeah. And they had the mess hall too. I have to say, many podcasts oh. ago, I said, it wouldn't be great for them to have a mess hall. You know what? It reminds me of a scene from the original... Battlestar, because there were scenes in the original where they had this mess hall and Baltar would just be kind of chilling out, eating, and it just reminded me of that. So Adama gives her this ship, and it wasn't entirely clear, but it seemed to me that Hilo and a couple other guys were going to be crew on this ship. I agree. It seemed that way to me, too, and I hope so. I hope so, too, because it gives Hilo something to do, which is great. Yes. The one thing I wish they had time to do, maybe they leave next show, maybe whatever, but I really would hope they have a scene where Hilo says goodbye to Athena and his daughter. That, to me, would be the most realistic. Well, you know what? That would be. Because once you're a papa, for him just to, like, say... That sounds like a great mission, sir. I'll volunteer for that. Yeah. I know he's a great... He follows orders and he does everything soldierly and whatever, but he's not going to just go up and do that without some sort of reservation about leaving his family behind. Right. 
Oh, it would be so great if Hilo went. But yeah, I totally dig that if they go off on this. And he's doing all kinds of mission. action stuff and yeah. kind of like back on Caprica. Yeah. I miss that. Yeah. Looking forward to that storyline. Hopefully. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, if that is what happens. Because I don't understand what is he basically what what Captain Kelly was? I think Hilo sort of became the number two. The XO is like number one and he's sort of like number two. Ooh. So okay. he's like he spells Ty when Ty's not on the bridge or he's not the executive officer, but he's like the sub executive. I don't know. Let's talk about Tori and how she said she didn't want to sleep with Baltar, but she did anyways. Or <laughs> I said that to Ted when they were having the conversation, and Ty's like, well, you got to go get friendly with him. She's like, what? I don't want to do that. I'm like, yeah, right. She's going to sleep with him. She mm-hmm. sleeps with everybody. And you know when she was crying during that? Well, you could look at it two ways. She was crying because she was like realized she was sort of whoring herself out just to get information. <laughs> or it could be it was just an emotional crush basically of all this stuff happening yeah and at that time when you're intimate and exposed that you're sort of that hits you in many ways so i have a feeling that tori is going to become a member of the church of baltar so she becomes a member and the other members of the final four are like what's up yeah well i think i mean just the way that she was connecting with baltar and the things that he was saying to her i really think she was buying into it so she becomes a member of the church, and his flock becomes jealous, and they end up killing her. <laughs> <laughs> or they recognize her as the angelic figure that she is. So many things going on in this episode. See how fun it is to not think about the final yes, five it is person? Fun. So many other things to think about <laughs> now that the season's actually rolling along. Shall we talk about Head Baltar? Yeah, Head Baltar. That was a quite a change-up. That was a good scene. It was really cool. It's funny that the things we asked James about, some of these things are coming back in odd ways. Like, I was pleased to hear him tell us that he did more head Baltar this season, but of course we had no idea that it would come back in this context. I think this was the episode he was referring to. Well, there might be more. That's true. There might be. Might be better ones. But again, what could this potentially mean? What does that mean? To me, it means... It's not just the original theory that he had that it was a chip in his head. They've somewhat debunked that. But he probably thinks on some level that might still be true. But I don't think that would apply anymore because why would they put a chip in his head to have his own image spring in front of him? That wouldn't make any sense. So it's something either psychological or mystical. Yeah, I'm thinking maybe he's just... One, he really is the fifth Cylon. But two, that he's just becoming so full of himself again because he supposedly healed that child and now he really does think of himself as this godly thing. Well, this episode was a mirror in many ways to the previous one in that they brought up a lot of the same themes. They brought back the line that something has changed. They brought back miracles That was brought up again. This time, they also did the same little trick where in the previous episode, Starbuck says, did they do this to me? Did they do that? And when she said it, as I said in our last podcast, when she said those things, to me, that took them off the board because they wouldn't do them. And in this one, at the beginning, when Tyrrell says, Baltar, not Baltar, it almost made that sound like, all right, we're putting him out there. No, take him off the board. Right. It'd be kind of weird for them to come back and say, oh, yeah, he is, after one of the final five 
or the final four said that he was not. I don't know. Hey, Again, with this show, you never know. You anymore. never know. They can come back. <laughs> now the question becomes, what happens with the head Baltar with Caprica 6? And that actually brings up another thing, is the 6 model. Because the 6 that we saw in this episode that started the mutiny against the Cavill line... I think that's Natalie. That is Natalie, right. Yeah. It wasn't really clear, but it, she was credited as... Natalie? Natalie. Oh. Like the Caprica 6 that's in the brig, I've always had this sort of wonder about how the Caprica 6 differs from that line. Because Cavill said the lines all usually go the same way, they have the same opinions, but she doesn't seem to be, and especially if she has her own head Baltar riding along with her, she would seem to be an anomaly. Well, maybe it's just like with, you know, Boomer, who decided to vote against her line. Right. They've all had these different experiences, yeah. and it's changing fundamentally their programming. We've mentioned this, or I've mentioned this in another podcast, but I've always wondered about the dynamic between the Head Six and the Caprica Six. Like, to me, the Head Six more resembles the original Six we see in the very beginning at that yeah. station. Like, that seemed like her was her. It was the same kind of outfit, the same kind of sensuality. Caprica Six was just a little bit played subtly different. She's a little more timid. Yeah. And I've always wondered, when they were on New Caprica... It would have been interesting if he had, at some point, while they were sitting there, lying around, been like, uh, Caprica, since I still don't know your name, <laughs> I have this head version of you that pops up now and then. And she'd be like, oh my god, so do I. You know, that never came up. So I would love to have known what kind of conversation they could have had for that. Speaking of like couples and whatnot, it's sort of interesting to me that Baltar was in the mess hall, so he can somewhat get around the ship. But he hasn't made any effort to get to Caprica 6 in the... Oh, I don't think he'll be able to... See, and the thing was about the mess hall, like, it looked like he was being guarded right. by, like, his followers. But Tori was in there. Yeah. So, obviously, there wasn't that much security on him yeah. by his followers. And then, kind of on the same level, Anders never showed up to see Starbuck when she was in the cell. Yeah, I noticed that, And too. he didn't see her off. Yeah, it was just Hilo and Adama. Yeah. So, that was sort of interesting... The only reference he had to her was during their final four meeting, and he says to Ty, she's my wife, and that was it. That was the only Yeah, she's your thing wife, but it. you made no effort to go see her. Yeah. So, for the Centurions going and shooting the Cavils and the Dorals, that was cool. That was a great scene. When she said she took that little thing and out of their her, heads yeah. that gave them reasoning. Yeah. And then they just decided, hey, you know, you guys are screwing us over. <laughs> It'd be cool if, like, all of a sudden, like, they started talking like the original ones did. It's oh, my like, God. That'd be weird. It'd be, like, just a little bit different, though. So it wasn't, like, the same kind of cliche Fire battles. Command. Right. It wouldn't be the same as that, but just different in a spooky kind of way. That'd be, that'd be awesome. Because otherwise, it's like, I have no mouth, but I must scream. You know? They'd be like, you know, I can't. They can't express themselves aside from just, like, maybe they can email or something. <laughs> they have Wi-Fi <laughs> built in, and they can email. So They're, I was wondering if she took this little thing out of... Did she only take it out of the two of them? I think what happened, this is all my just speculation, is that since there are millions of sixes and there are millions of whatever the other ones are, they all went and performed this little operation on whatever century it happened to be standing nearby. Mm -hmm. And then concurrently... The same little type of meeting took place, maybe not, you know, word for word in other ships or other parts of the ship. Cavill was just hanging around reading a paper or something. But 
Order 66 was executed and all at the same time. So they kill all those folks off. Do you really think they killed them all? I think they did. I, th- I figured I it was what, just in that meeting. I think what they effectively did was, we're going to box your line, and we're going to do it using force. And we're going to shoot you, you're going to go all in your resurrection tubs, and we're going to be standing there when you come out, and we're going to pull the plug. Hmm. So that makes me sad, because I love Cavill. I don't know if that's going to happen, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. And it'll be especially sad, because that would mean Simon's, his little return was really short-lived. I like Simon. I really do. <laughs> I love that they brought him back, but I mean, my God, is like, that was it? I mean, if the actor yeah. is available, give him a little bit more before you, you pluck him back to obscurity. I don't think they're going to be boxed, though. Well, how are they going to uh, keep Cavill from trying to... I don't know. Are they gonna, does that Maybe mean, this will just get the point across. Does, I don't know. Does Cavill, the Cavill line that is not shot, do they somehow rebel or is this the beginning of like a civil war with the Cylon? See, that's what or? I think. I think it's the beginning of a civil war. Mm. Like a break apart. Mm. Oh, is it just me or is Cavill a dirty old man? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love him. I can rewatch his scenes over and over again. Just the way he often like will just gesture with his hand yeah. in a certain way. But I just find it funny when he's sitting there watching the eight. Yeah. And I'm like, he's such a dirty old man. Yeah. <laughs> One curious thing, too, about this episode was apparently this is the first time that they've revealed the model numbers of three of the Cylons. We find out that, let's see. We're missing Ca- seven. Cavill is a one, Leoban is a two, and Simon is a four. Deanna was three. Deanna was three. Doral is five. Caprica is six. Sharon's eight. We're missing seven. So seven is missing, which is interesting because that would be one of the final five, but it precedes the number eight. But again... Do the consecutive numbers mean anything? These are just questions Probably to ponder. Not. And does the number one mean anything versus the number five? I guess the one thing that's kind of interesting is that if you do look at the numbers and just the numbers, is that Cavill's a one and he's like the atheist. Mm-hmm. And number two is the Leoban. And Leoban is like the opposite. He's like Mr. God, man. Right. So that's kind of interesting that they had two polar type of models that followed immediately after each other. Aside from that, I don't know what we can take from it. All right. Do we even want to give a grade? Are we going to fight about the grades? I won't give fight about again? it. I won't fight. I'm going to give it a. I'm going to give it an A. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about giving it a B, but I really there was nothing about it that I didn't like. Yeah. So I'd like to give it an A. <laughs> I'll give it a B plus. How about that? And again, that's on my rating scale, which right. and which. For me, nothing is perfect, so we can't have an A. Well, no. <laughs> Mine is a B is a solid effort. It's just a few things keeping it from transcending to like that level where it's a classic episode that's like one of the best ever. Like 33? Like 33 is an A. There's okay. no disputing that. So I really liked the writing in this episode. I thought they had a lot of these little symbols that ran through, like the photograph that they showed, and they had the insurrection that was built up. It was obvious on the Cylon side and sort of more subtle in the colonial fleet where you don't know what's going to happen with Starbuck. But I just thought it was written really well. Mary McDonald I thought was great. I guess the only thing really bringing it down for me was just the Lee retirement. Not because it was Lee, but just because it seemed redundant that they had. And the second one he had when they were on the flight deck, it seemed long. I was kind of like, eh, let's get on with this. I guess that wraps up this episode. Again, our website is galacticacorum.com and our email is gcorum at gmail.com. 
and our voicemail is 206-350-6756. Please send us an email. Visit our website. We have forums there. Give some feedback. Send us your questions, and we'll talk to you next time. And we're sorry this is a little delayed. Yeah. <laughs> it's my bad. Okay. <laughs> no worries. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thirty-nine. Episode thirty-nine. The one where Michelle's appendix bursts. Oh my god, that would suck. I can't explain how painful it is right now. And yet you're doing the podcast. You are such a trooper. I am. <laughs> <laughs>